30 years in the making, John. I think we started with what, pens and pads, and now we're up to podcast. Yeah, we've been having this baseball conversation for 32 years and very excited to get going. I appreciate the post for all of the promotions. Uh, it feels like my bar mitzvah day. It's very exciting. Well, we're going to retravel back to 1990 because of a no-hitter that happened in the last week. Ask how good are the New York Yankees and do we believe in the Angels? All of that and more coming up next on the show with John Heyman and Joel Sherman. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the debut of the show, Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John I'm required by law to tell everybody to, to, to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Can you believe that sentence came out of my mouth, John? <laughs> He's John Heyman. I'm Joel Sherman. We go back a long time. Our first year on the beat was 1990. The manager of the team was Bucky Dent because he hit a very famous home run for the Yankees. Here we are 32 years later. Aaron Boone's the manager of the Yankees because he hit a famous home run. Have we gone nowhere or somewhere in these 30-plus years? I'm going to say somewhere, but now that you brought up Bucky Dent, that really reminded me of my first Yankee press conference at the 21 Club. Do you remember that? I do. George Steinbrenner. It was my first dealing with George Steinbrenner. I can remember him being at the fancy 21 Club. Not sure if it exists anymore, but uh, good hamburgers, by the way, if it does. But he guaranteed guaranteed that Bucky Dent would have the year and being the naive kid off the Angels beat uh, my first uh, Yankee story I bought it uh, I said wow this George has changed yeah. he's going to be loyal to his manager and keep Bucky Dent uh, for the entire season of course he was fired about 50 games into the season and we have stories about that as well but uh, and it was subtle right he was fired about 200 yards from Fenway Park, yes. where he hit the yes. most famous home run. One of the most famous home runs ever. One of the most famous Yankee homers. Certainly his most famous homer. So real subtle by yeah. George when he promised them the whole season. Boy, we have a lot. I mean, my memory of that was the coach, who was one of the coaches who was fired. I think yeah. it was Gary Tuck, right? Yeah. He slammed the door in your face as you're running, walking, I don't say running, and but walking into Bucky's uh, office, and uh, that was quite a it day. Was, it might have been the first door slammed by a personnel from the Yankees. It was not the no, last no. In, my, in my face, John, as unfortunately we know. That team, uh, which was the, like the worst Yankee team since 1913, just so you know, we're doing, I did an eight-part series about them on the 30th anniversary in 2020 during the worst of the uh, pandemic, and the New York Post is doing a documentary about that 1990 team. We'll obviously have more on that on the show as we get closer to it. But John, I want to travel back to 1990. You know why? Mm. Because that team, a lot of bizarre stuff happened to them, and there was a connection this year, last Sunday, Hunter Green threw a no-hitter and lost. I think we covered the most famous lost no-hitter ever, yeah. Andy Hawkins, July 1st, 1990 at the old Comiskey Park. Yeah, and Bucky was gone by then. It was Stump Merrill was the manager. And, of course, Stump Merrill made that key error uh, making Jim Leyritz play left field, I think maybe for the first time or one of the first times it ever. Was, it was the... Fourth time he had ever played the outfield, but the, the weirder thing, because somehow Stump Merrill was even a worse manager than Bucky, 
was he wanted to get Mike Blowers back in the lineup right. for the first time he in made the week. the first error. Yeah, and so Mike Blowers, who couldn't play third, had a play, and Jim Leyritz played left. And for that series on uh, the Yankees, I talked to Steve Sachs about Jim Leyritz playing left field that day. I don't know how, if you remember, it's obviously you you went to school there. That was like one of the windiest days ever in Chicago where he also decides to put him in left field. Steve Sachs described Jim Leyritz as a grizzly bear on ice skates trying to go after a ball. They made three errors <laughs> yeah. in the eighth inning. That it day. wasn't pretty. Blowers made the error, then Leyritz, then Jesse Barfield, who was a terrific right fielder, made an error, and poor Andy Hawkins uh, took the loss in his semi-no-hitter, which we saw again here with the Reds and the Pirates, a semi-no-hitter. Yeah, you know, just to you know, maybe close how crazy those teams were, I wonder if you remember... Andy Hawkins was on the verge of being released yes. a few weeks before, and there was a day he had his suitcases with mm-hmm. him. He like Baseball was crazier in the 1990s. It was a little less subtle than it is now, and he was asking us daily, like, am I getting released today? Am I getting traded? What's going on? And he was carrying around his suitcases with him because he thought he was yeah. gone all the time. Yeah, I love those days. The writers were friendlier with the players. I, I don't remember him asking me. Maybe he was particularly friendly with you. You were there in 89 as well. I don't know. But those were some bad Yankee teams. But I think let's get to some some good stories about the Yankees this year. They are fantastic. Yeah, you know, John, you and I saw the transition, right? And I started in 89, you started in 90, 91, also they were terrible. 92, they begin to turn around with Buck Showalter. Starting in 93, they haven't had a losing season since then. And this is one of the best starts in the team's history. Do you believe in this team? If you were making a case for kind of they're going to get to the World Series for the first time since 2009, what would that be? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure anyone's going to listen to me on this one because I picked them for third place, as I told Aaron Boone when I was on MLB Network. And I heard Harold Reynolds gasping in the next room. You know, I basically said to him, you know, what's it going to be like managing a third place team this year? And, you know, Aaron Boone is such a great guy, very (laughs) calm, very nice. And he calmly laid out why this was a good team. And I probably should have listened a little more closely. And I'm buying it now. I mean, you start 26 and 9, that's not a fluke. Uh, they have had great health, and obviously a lot of this depends on the health. But the last three teams that started even 24 and 9, the White Sox in 05, the Red Sox in 18, and the Cubs in 16 all won the World Series. Not going to guarantee anything. Obviously, we got a lot of layers in the playoffs at this point. Nothing easy, but uh, right now, I mean, the Yankees clearly are the best team in baseball. I don't think there's any denying that. Yeah, you know, John, I actually picked them to get to the World Series this year. I thought more of them than you. So one of the things that stands out to me is their division isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Again, we're not to Memorial Day yet, but they're the only team in the division with a positive run differential right now, and it's the mo- it's the best run differential in the sport. I think it's plus 78 as we're recording this, and Toronto's Good. Tampa Bay's good. Boston is not good right now. And so I don't think the competition looks like it's going to be as fierce. And what stands out to me about this team, John, if I were pointing out what I like about it most, is it is a team like those late 90 teams. I don't think they're as good as those late 90 teams, but they eliminated weakness. These last few years, it used to be, well, if you got a right-hander who could sweep a slider away, you could deal with the lineup. The defense wasn't very good. They didn't maximize base running. There were weaknesses to exploit, especially in a short postseason series where you can really drill down on it. Less so right now. Yeah, very solid team, no weaknesses, but they have one great strength, and that's hitting home runs still. They're a little bit dependent on the home run, but not really. I mean, they've only lost nine games. I will say this. I think it is a major advantage 
that the ball was deadened because, um, and this is a theory that I've been thinking about for a few weeks now, those home runs that Stan and Judge used to hit were 450 feet, now they're 430 feet. They still go out. Other players who are hitting the ball 400 feet, now 380, 390, they may or may not go out. I actually like the dead ball. I know the MLB did not do it to help the Yankees, although I do think it did help the Yankees. You know, I think that is a, a theory that it's makes like when sense. We, it's like when we were kids again. Home run hitters hit home runs, right? Willie McCovey hit right. home runs, and Hank Aaron hit home runs, and Harmon Killebrew hit yeah. home runs. Right now, the Yankees have home run hitters, so they're hitting home runs. Yeah, I think that's great for baseball. I mean, if you look at the MVP races right now, you've got Judge, you've got Trout, you've got all great players. And in the National League, you've got Machado, you've got Arenado, you've got Harper. There aren't a ton of surprises among individual players because the ball, I think, is probably what it should be. 2019 MLB recognized that the ball was too lively and they deadened it a bit. I think it helps the sport. You're going to have to learn how to score in different ways, but I mean, the Yankees have such great home run hitters in uh, Judge and Stan and Rizzo. I think it's just a big advantage for them and they're going to be good all year uh, assuming health. What's the flip side? If you were worried about them right now, and again, they've got the best record in baseball, best run differential, what would scare you about them moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, it's probably, aside from health, I would say, you know, is Cortez real? I mean, this guy right now looks like the Cy Young winner along with Verlander. I mean, that's going to be a heck of a race, right? An all-time great pitcher against Nestor Cortez going for the Cy Young. Is he real? I mean, to me, that's an enormous question because right now he's their top pitcher. He's better than Cole. Cole's the number two pitcher, you know, so is he pitching over his head? Is it something they're not used to? Are they going to adjust to him? It's a big deal to have two aces on the team going forward, especially with all the playoffs situations, all the playoff matchups they're going to be in. You know, I think that's the biggest question. Is Cortez real? Yeah, I, I have a piggyback to that. It's not only is he real, but if I were worried about them, it would be about the duration, running the marathon. Cortez threw 91 innings last year in the major leagues. That's his high. Luis Severino has pitched 18 combined innings from 19 to 21. Everything looks great now. They've only had to use a six-starter once because of a doubleheader that forced them to use Luis Heel for one game. Can they keep going round and round with this group? If they do, it's really a good group. To your point, two guys are potential aces. You know, Severino against Baltimore looked ace-like like he did earlier in his career. Jamison Tyon has looked good. Jordan Montgomery is fine. That is the one concern because we saw Luis Heel. We've seen Clark Schmidt. We've seen some of the other options they're going to have. It is a step and a half to three steps down. Yeah, I mean, I think almost every team has that question, the pitching depth. You know, I think the Padres, which already had good pitching depth and then got Manaya, they may be the one team that does not really have that question. But even like Milwaukee and Miami, the teams that are, have really good starting pitching, they don't have more than five or six good starters. So, I mean, every team has that question. I don't think it's a big knock on the Yankees, and right now they look fantastic. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's uh, homerism in New York to say we should – Add something about the New York Mets here, who have the best record in the National League as we're having this conversation. It's a little bit of a New York, New York season so far. So, John, just quickly here, do you believe in them? If so, what's the biggest reason you believe in them? Yeah, I mean, I do believe in them. Maybe a little bit less so than the Yankees, right? I mean, the Yankees are a dynamo at this point. Um, You know, I just saw this series with uh, the Mariners, and, uh, you know, it was a tough series for them. I do like the fact that they can score in a number of ways. They have two really viable leadoff hitters in uh, Nimmo and Marte. So 
Uh, I like that. I like the fact they're doing this without DeGrom. They're still hopeful that he'll be back sometime in June. We really don't hear much about it, but he is throwing down in St. Lucie. I like that team. Uh, I'm still questioning. The one question I do have is the bullpen. You know, is it going to be good enough? We questioned whether they had the left-hander that they needed, but overall, still not sure. Diaz has been really good. Adovino has got a good track record overall. Uh, May, they're going to be without. So I think that's where they really need to pick. And they know it, too. I mean, they're not going to admit it, but they know it. That's where they need to pick up pieces. You know, John, I hate to be redundant, but I think I like the Mets for the same reason I like the Yankees early this season. The division isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. They're also dealing with a situation, you know, the Marlins, they're just not going to be good enough. They might be better than last year. The Phillies pathologies are the Phillies pathologies. I don't know that they could escape them. They could hit their way out of a lot. And to me, again, maybe I felt this way 35-ish games into the Braves season last year, but it feels like something's missing. Is it a championship hangover? Is there something else going on? But I agree with you also on the Mets. I think they need one of everything. Now, one of everything for rotation is probably DeGrom if he ever gets healthy, and then you have two of the best starting pitchers on the planet if he's fully healthy. I agree with you they need a bullpen guy. Unlike the Yankees, and I thought your point was an excellent point, the Mets have a singular home run hitter in Alonzo. Like a guy who, and by the way, the ball's been dying on him also this year. It's been bizarre to watch how many balls have died. I think they need one more bat because J.D. Davis is a good bench bat. I'm not sure Dom Smith is a major league hitter at any kind of high level. I think they need a J.T. Martinez-type player who I think might become available later in the season. So I just think they, if they're going to have championship aspirations, I think every bucket has to get better. Yeah, the Red Sox. That's interesting that you brought them up because, uh, you know, that is a team that could sell. I think we're going to talk about that later, whether they will sell or not. That's a big question. I will say this with the National League. I think it's tougher than the American League. I had a tougher time. Picking the teams five and six to make the playoffs. Now we have six teams. That's an advantage. That's good. But teams seven and eight that I left out were the Giants and the Phillies. I think they're both very talented teams. And it's going to be a little bit more of a potentially of a dogfight for the Mets. And I, I still think the Phillies are pretty good. I mean, their starting pitching is good. Uh, their lineup is excellent. Obviously, they don't field with Harper now as a DH. It's another question there. The Braves, I'm never going to give up on the Braves. Look, we gave up on them last year. Uh, we would have been lo- we would have lost out on the World Series champion. They were 500 team more than halfway into the season. So the Mets have a tougher road. I think that's probably the biggest difference between the Yankees and the Mets right now. Yeah, the Braves were 30 and 35, 65 games into the season. So I'm not going to give up on them either. But you did something very, very professional there, John. You did what I think they call a tease about what's coming up next when we do Real Deal or Fool's Gold. Stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, I noticed there's cameras here. They're filming our pretty faces. Uh, If you go to the New York Post YouTube page and subscribe on YouTube, you could see us having this discussion, argument, conversation, whatever it is we're exactly having. And we're going to 
have that conversation about what's the real deal and fool's gold. John, what's your real deal this week? And mine's the angels. And this may be a little bit of wishful thinking. You know, I watch them every night. You know, I've got two TVs. I'm watching the Yankees and Mets to start. And then I've got two to pick, and I always pick the Angels. Uh, they have arguably the two best players in the game, and I'd love to see Trout in the playoffs. I would covered when he played against the Royals, and I think he went one for nine. So it wasn't really a fair assessment of Mike Trout, I think is an all-time great. And Otani. Obviously, Otani and Trout, fantastic. And they're just a fun team. They're having fun. they got a couple ex-Yankees in the middle of the diamond. Velasquez and Wade playing very well. But uh, obviously, we know about Syndergaard there. He didn't have a good outing last night as we do this. But I love this team. I'm enjoying watching it. Even their manager is fun, Joe Madden. So I like them. I think they're a real deal. You missed a Yankee up the middle. Austin Romine is catching about half their games right now to join Velasquez and uh, Tyler Wade. So you mentioned the stars, and I agree. So Strangely enough, we don't collaborate on this. My real deal was the Angels also. So I want to talk about some of the stuff they're getting because stars have never been their problem. They've spent money at the big part. Right now, Taylor Ward and Trout have essentially the same war. They're 1-2 ahead of Aaron Judge in the American League in Fangraph's war. So Taylor Ward has come along. Brandon Marsh has given them a very productive outfield with Ward and Trout. I'm going to mention a name for the rotation. Like, Syndergaard obviously didn't pitch well last time he was out, you were mentioning. But Patrick Sandoval, the lefty, since May 17th last year, 20 starts, 296 ERA, 217 batting average against. And they did a good job. We, you, John, you mentioned this in the first segment about the Mets and a lefty. They did have Aaron Loop last year. They knew he was good and they thought it was too high to go. Loop and Ryan Tapera were a good lefty-righty sign by Perry Manasian's front office there, and I think the, that they have really strengthened that Angels bullpen. Yeah, I mean, they definitely look good right now. I have one concern about the Angels, and the concern I have about a lot of teams, do they have the innings? I mean, looking at that starting rotation, we talked about Syndergaard. He's coming back from an injury, right? Lorenzen, he's a relief pitcher. Otani, he's got two jobs to do. How many innings is he going to have in the end? And they have so many kids in that rotation. So there's an innings question about all of their starters. Do you think it helps them that they're committed to a six-man rotation and that they'll limit innings all year by doing that? Sure. I mean, that's probably a good idea. They've had a lot of good ideas. They're, you know, doing well. And uh, I hope so because they're my real deal and uh, they are a fun team. But to have all your pitchers with a question, they don't have a Garrett Cole. It's a big advantage to have a guy who's a horse who's going to throw 200 innings. I mean, Otani could do it if he wasn't hitting 40 or 50 home runs or whatever he's going to do too. But the fact that he's doing two jobs makes me question his innings as well. That'd be my one question about them. Glad you mentioned Ward and the whole outfield. They cut Justin Upton to give all these kids a chance, and that was turned out to be a great decision, even though they're spending $28 million for nothing this year from Justin Upton. They said they did it for Marsh and Joe Adele. Didn't even mention Ward at the time. So there are surprises even to their own team. He came up as a catcher. I think people didn't really recognize how good a player Taylor Ward is. They've got some underrated players. I don't know. I watch him every day, so I'm very excited. Walsh, about the first baseman, is underrated. What about Stassi? Yes. You watch him, the catcher? Yes, very good. Uh, terrific, terrific underrated player. So they have a lot of terrific players. I'm just not sure they have the innings. And I think you mentioned a key there, John, before we get to Fool's Gold. They had to send Joe Adele back down. And... That's, you know, between Upton gone and Adele back down, their outfield is very good, as you mentioned. But they needed Adele to be good for your other point. That was the guy who gets them the starting pitcher. 
Is he still good enough to front a trade? I guess we'll learn that as the season goes along. John, we've told everyone what the real deal is. What's your fool's goal? Well, my fool's goal is a little unusual. I, I, I was think when we came up with this category, I was thinking of a team that's or a player that's doing really well that's not going to be good. But for me, it's going to be the Red Sox. You know, obviously they're off to a very poor start. But I still think they're going to have a run in them. They're good enough to have a run and do well enough that they probably won't be a seller, which I think a lot of people are looking at. Can they sell? Because they've got a lot of interesting pieces, and that would make for a great sale. I don't know if it's as good as last year when you had the Cubs and the Nats selling. I mean, Scherzer and Bryant and all these stars were traded last year. But uh, I think the Red Sox are going to be fooled into thinking. And they're big market teams, so they don't want to sell, I don't think. Um, Some people think they will, though, because their bullpen just isn't very good. I think they're going to be good enough that they're going to be fooled and they won't sell and they're not a good enough team. One thing I do do say, one caveat, American League is not as strong as the National League in terms of the teams number six, seven, eight, nine. So potentially they could sneak in, and I think that's why they're going to be fooled. They're going to think they're going to be able to grab that sixth spot. I don't think they can do it. Yeah, I, I was going to make that point, John, which was I think they'll look at a team like the Angels who are probably going to be like the sixth team. You know, if you believe Yankees, Tampa Bay, Toronto, whoever wins the Central, there won't be two teams out of the Central. Houston wins the West, Angels second. The Red Sox have to be sitting there and see the same vulnerability in the Angels that you mentioned, which is where is the starting pitching? Do I believe in these guys all year? And so it's... I agree with you. For them to trade, they'll have to get to July like they are now, like eight, nine under yeah. five hundred, where they have no alternative, like the like the Cubs and the Nationals last year, which was they were looking around and saying we're recent champions, like the Red Sox were. This is the core that helped us win, but we're not moving forward with this core. What do we yeah. do? Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for them to make that trade. They traded Mookie Betts. You know, right. I mean, that was tough. They did do it. I mean, Heimblum, the general manager, did it. And, and I don't think they'll re like. I think they'll they could trade and go for it again next year, right? Like they they would have plenty of money if they decide, hey, we're trading Xander Bogarts. We could sign Carlos Correa. Right, you know, we're we're trading JD Martinez. He's a DH. Like someone like Nimmo is a free agent next year. Mitch Haniger, you you know, yeah. they 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 could do both while building up that farm system, right? Yeah, they. I mean, they have some great free agents. I mean, Bogarts has got the opt out. We know he's going to opt out. out. Obviously, yeah. they made him that offer of uh, an extra year at thirty million. He's not going to go for that. Obviously, he didn't go for that, and he's not going to sign before he uh, opts out. So he's a free agent. Avaldi, a very good starting pitcher. And uh, postseason proven. Right. And J.D. Martinez, who's on a very long lo- uh, hitting streak right now, is a free agent after the year. Um, he, I know he didn't opt out the first three times he had chances to do it, but now he's a free agent. And as you mentioned, uh, he could be a good trade bait for them. They, they could have a great sale. I just don't think they're going to do it because I think they're going to be fooled into thinking uh, that they can make the playoffs. My fool's gold is a free agent also. It's Araldus Chapman. And I'm picking him as my fool's gold because we mentioned at the top of this show, John, how good this Yankee team is. Well, they've had a couple of postseasons end at the end of the left hand of Araldus Chapman. He's given up three of the biggest home runs in the postseason history, two of them as a Yankee. And I don't like what I'm seeing. And this is where you could be fooled. He doesn't have a blown save this year. He has a 2-1-3 ERA. But if you dig a little deeper, 25% strikeout rate. He came into the season 41.1. That's the second best ever. So it's way down. His walk rate, like last year, he's walking over six guys per nine innings. And to me... He's like the ultimate bully pitcher. When things are going his way, you know, he's got the stare down and everything. 
But when things begin to kind of speed up on him, the ball, you know, he doesn't have the same control. He could get lost. And by the way, the best relief pitcher on the team is Clay Holmes. Now, you might not want to use Clay Holmes exclusively in the ninth inning. Now, you know, Aaron Boone might want to attack the game. But as this season goes along, if you're playing, we're a long way away from October. But the Yankees cannot let another season end at the end of the left hand of Araldus Chapman. Yeah, I don't think they will. They're not going to be fooled. I mean, uh, you and I are not fooled by him. So I don't think they're going to be fooled. They're, they've made a lot of smart calls in terms of personnel. I mean, they have Holmes. They have King, who's been outstanding. Loiza guy's got terrific talent. Um, you know, he's had a couple of misses recently. But, I mean, I think that's three pretty good options they have. I don't think they have to stay with Chapman. I don't think they will if, if he continues to pitch like this. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see if he continues to pitch like this. Coming up next, John and I are going to delve deep into what's in our notebook. Welcome back to the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, in some form or fashion for over three decades, I've been wondering what's in your notebook, (laughs) mostly as a competitor. I get to ask you as a co-host of a podcast, what's in your notebook? I know. It's great to be on the same team, right? I mean, when I was at Newsday, I was always nervous getting the post to see what you had. But <laughs> Remember, uh, you have to walk to a newsstand in the oh, old days. Yeah. Yeah. The world has changed. Yeah. I think we know that. My notebook, I mean, this isn't a surprise that the Reds are going to have a big starting pitchers available, but I'm going to name a team that I think has got a good shot to get one of them. That's the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley um, are very good starting pitchers on a very, very terrible Reds team, and uh, they're likely to be traded if the Reds do the right thing and trade them. This is an interesting thing that I hadn't realized before somebody pointed it out to me. The Giants' 107-win team got 112 starts from four ex-Reds pitchers. So they've been uh, mining that spot for a little while now. Gosman, Disclafani, Wood, and Cueto all were Reds pitchers. Now, obviously, Cueto did very well for the Reds, so and they, and the Giants had him for a while. But uh, Farhan Zaidi and the Giants front office has done a terrific job finding guys who are underachieving elsewhere, and he keeps finding them on the Reds. And I'm hearing that the Giants are looking at uh, the Reds starters, Castillo and Molly. So I do think that there is a possibility there. The Mets have scouted uh, Mal- at least Molly as well. And, um, you know, these guys I'm certainly... We talked about the lack of starting pitching depth with all these teams. Uh, there are going to be a lot of teams looking at them, but to me, the Giants is a team to keep an eye on for Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley. And the strange thing is, Luis Castillo was originally a Giant. He was signed by mm-hmm. them. Do you remember the trade 2014? Before Fahan Zaidi, they made a yeah. few more mistakes maybe. Yeah. Casey McGee. All right. That's who they got for Luis Castillo. John, when I dive into my notebook this week, I wrote about this in the New York Post. I spoke to the agent, Scott Boris. We were discussing Michael Conforto, and when he had his shoulder surgery in April, the reporting out of it by all of us was he was done for the season. And yeah. Scott threw open the possibility that Michael Conforto, after the, uh, the draft, which is July 17th to 19th, when the qualifying offer goes away, where nobody yeah. has to give up any draft compensation— that Michael can sign then. He, he described him as the earliest free agent, the first guy who, of significance. He was the most significant free agent in the last class who didn't sign. He could be the first significant free agent who does sign in the, ne- in the next class 
if somebody kind of likes the physicals, likes the possibility, maybe signs him for the rest of this year, Scott threw open the possibility he can't won't be able to play the outfield yeah. and throw, he might be able to hit in the major leagues by September if his rehab, which he's doing in his Arizona, goes well. And then maybe you also have him for next year on like a pillow contract to you know, set up free agency after the 2023 season, it sets up an interesting dynamic. You and I are going to think a lot about guys like J.D. Martinez, bats that could get traded. Is it possible some team likes the uh, medicals on Conforto enough to say, hey, this is really about next year, but we'll throw a dart at a dartboard. Yeah. If he's ready in September and we're a contender, maybe he can have 20, 30 at-bats as a DH pinch hitter for oh, us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we watched this guy for years. He's one of the best-hitting outfielders in the game. Unfortunately for him, he just had a very couple, two things. He had a very weak platform year in which he really did not hit well at all, hit, hit around 230, did not hit the usual number of home runs that he hit, and his OPS was down like 40, 50 points from the previous couple of years. I think he had COVID. He had definitely had some excuses, you know, was not 100%. And I think that affected him. And then certainly in this drill in January in Arizona where he hurt his shoulder, uh, that affected him again. So uh, sometimes free agencies can turn out like that. We've seen most of these star players go to free agency and uh, hit the jackpot. Uh, you know, Boris has had a number of clients like that. But uh, this is a guy who had uh, two bad things happen. And uh, I think from seeing him play, though, we believe that he can – still hit and still help somebody. You know, the one interesting thing for me, John, is I look back at it. There were two position players after the 2013 season who tried to escape the qualifying offer by waiting after the draft. It was Kendris Morales and Stephen Drew, also both Scott Boris clients. And those guys did not perform well that season. Strangely, they still were both traded at the trade deadline uh, to other teams. They So they ended up for a combined four teams not performing well that year. Drew got traded to the Yankees actually. So part of it is, I wonder about not seeing major league pitching for a long period, which Conforto was, can he kind of airdrop in in September and help? That feels like a long shot. But to your point, John, I think we saw him a lot. Is he a great major league player? He is not. But he's an above, he was an above average major league player for the Mets. And I could see some team looking and saying, look, the top of the outfield market is going to be what? Aaron Judge, Maybe Conforto's ex-teammate now, Brandon Nimmo. Who knows if anyone likes this version of Joey Gallo, Mitch Hanniger, Michael Brantley. Do I get a deal here with an above average? If I believe in those medicals and I believe in Michael Conforto, is it a moment to pounce with the 1%, 5%, 12% chance that he helps me in September? Yeah, I mean, there certainly will be teams interested in Conforto. He's got a terrific track record. But I'm glad you mentioned Judge. I mean, that's an interesting story that's going to go on all year because apparently they're not going to be able to get together. Obviously, he's the top free agent outfielder as we speak here. He is going to be the top free agent outfielder because they aren't talking about it. They're going to have to go to a hearing if the Yankees stick to the file and trial resolve that they have and all the other teams seem to have on June 22nd, as you reported. But uh, uh, I think it's worth talking about uh, Judge a little bit here. Uh, I mean, you got to give the guy credit. That gamble that he took, the Yankees made a very good offer $213 million to add on to what he was going to get this year, seven-year extension. Uh, he gambled, and he looks like he is winning huge. I mean, 
To me, at this moment, he might be the MVP. It might be Trout. I would say Otani's probably still the favorite because if he keeps doing what he does, I mean, it's miraculous that he's able to be a great pitcher and a great hitter. But, I mean, at this moment, I think Judge is probably the MVP favorite. You know, some people go the wrong way when they take that gamble and have that platform year and they stumble, as Conforto did. But Judge has really, really hit the jackpot here. What I mean, he was asking for a Mike Trout uh, deal uh, when he and he's was, performing like Mike Trout. He really is. I mean, he's a terrific, including outfielder. playing center field when they right. need him, staying healthy, taking on a bigger leadership role right. without Brett Gardner around. And I think your point from earlier needs to be reasserted here also because it's important to his free agency. If this is going to be the baseball moving exactly. forward, exactly. then his value goes up even more as a pure home run hitter. Right. Like, what is rare is valuable. Absolutely. And if home runs are going to be rare, the ability to do it. And I do think that the fact that Stanton is getting out in the outfield more and more these days helps the argument also. Because you've got to imagine a team moving forward that has both of those guys aging on it and only one DH spot. So you got to believe in those guys health athleticism moving forward and this is the second straight year it's a month it's a month and a half this year but the second straight year both guys have stayed healthy yeah and, and Stan can play the outfield and I saw it in Miami he, he's fine in the outfield and um, you know I think right now his contract looks okay I mean people were complaining about <laughs> it like oh you know how can they take that contract that looks all right and I mean judge He's going to really, I mean, he may end up being the highest paid position player. I mean, you can't be the highest paid player because we have Max Scherzer making $43 million. We don't, I don't think he's going to do that. But, you know, he may get what he was looking for, which is the $36 million a year and eight or nine years added on. The Yankees are willing. They are willing to go higher. They were willing to go higher when they cut off the negotiations. The time had kind of run out because they set the opening day as the deadline. Yankees were gonna. They were at thirty and a half million, I believe, just a little higher than bets. Which I, I think that's kind of interesting that they did that. But I think they would have gone to thirty-one or thirty-two million anyway. They're gonna have to go higher than that. Yeah, at now. this point. But one one of your you of your many strengths, John, over the years is you're really good at reading markets and understanding the markets. No, I was right, right about this one. The value of Judge to the Yankees, what the Yankees are willing to pay in extra cost, because he's on every ticket, he's homegrown, the yes stuff. Does that translate? In other words, if I'm the San Francisco Giants, is he yeah. as meaningful for me as he is to the Yankees? If I'm the Boston Red Sox, if I'm the New York Man, in other words, is the Yankees probably have to pay more than they were willing. But are there certainly other teams out there that will go much higher than the Yankees do? That's the question for me because yeah. the Yankees, I think, thought they were paying the premium on him for those reasons already. I'm not sure. I've got to believe there's another team that's willing to take the size, age, health. Is he as valuable to me yeah. as the Yankees risk? You know, that's a great question. I, you know, I always think there's one in every crowd. So there's going to be a team willing to do it. But for his sake, I, I think he's better off staying with the Yankees. I mean, you've got the whole judges chambers out there. It's great marketing for the team, for him. He is the face of the franchise. They sell all those jerseys that are judge jerseys. I mean, uh, I think they need to get together. And this will be a shame. And, and it doesn't mean that they are going to because we just saw Freddie Freeman. We all thought he needed to stay and he wanted to stay. And it didn't work out. The negotiation just got ugly. It didn't work out. Now, this one I don't think is ugly. I'm not, I don't, Judge didn't have a reaction when Cashman read what they'd offered, which was unusual, but I, I don't blame him for doing that. I think he knew people knew what the price was anyway. It was going to be reported anyway. I don't blame him, and I, Judge did not 
say anything negative and come out. So I, I don't. I wish have he wouldn't have. We had the. I think you and I had the number yeah. that morning. I wish he wouldn't have yeah. mentioned. It. I think the post would have had that. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know that that's the reason. I think the bigger reason is he wanted to show that they gave a good faith effort, and I think everybody buys that they did at that moment. That was a very, very reasonable. In fact, a very good offer, and I thought. Judge was taking a big, big gamble doing this, but the gamble is paying off, and I do think there's one every I do agree with you. I think that's your point was it's better for him and better for the team if they can figure this out. No guarantee because we saw this last, just a few months ago with Freddie Freeman. Yeah, that story isn't over, but this show has got to wrap up, and we'll come back and do that on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman right after this. Thanks for listening to the debut episode of the show, our new baseball podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz for expertly producing the show. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and write in a nice review on Apple. You can follow me and John on Twitter. He's at John Heyman. I'm at Joel Sherman one that's a lot of housekeeping, John. Give me one more bit of housekeeping. What are you looking forward to this week? <laughs> well, this is an easy one because as soon as we finish this up, I'm going to go out to the Mets-Cardinals game. Uh, it's not because they had a benches-clearing brawl or uh, get-together, whatever you want to call it last time. Uh, it's because those are two great teams, and we just saw the Cardinals uh, play, and they looked really good with all those old guys, so it makes me feel good, all the old guys. and. I want to see if the Mets can uh, bounce back from their first series loss against the uh, the Mariners. So that was an easy one. Cardinals at Mets, doubleheader today. I'm uh, going to keep an eye on something every week because over the first six weeks of the season, you know that Andres Jimenez is outplaying Francisco Lindor. And that would be an interesting thing over the season since one is making $341 million and one is making barely over the minimum wage. If you care, Jimenez, as we speak, 326, 909 OPS, 1.7 war. Francisco Lindor, 232, 720 OPS, 0.8 war. You know me, John. I just like to keep an eye on things that could be annoying to other folks. We'll keep revisiting it week after week because we'll be back next Tuesday and every Tuesday the entire MLB season. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week.